0: Let me just, well, I'll start off asking a question tonight. What is the purpose of the church? You don't have to answer it out loud. I mean, why does the church exist? Some people would think, well, it exists for fellowship, you know, with one another. Obviously, when we got born again, we could fellowship with God. And so it's not about our fellowshipping with God. And, and maybe that is part of it, the, the fellowship. Or maybe it's the accountability that we need. There are a lot of things we could, we could talk about. But let me just say this, just so you know this. Most of the time, if you do a study in the New Testament of the word church, you're going to find almost always it's referring to a local body of believers. A lot of people talk about being a member of the church, and they're talking about being a member of the church at large, and the scripture does refer to that sometimes. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, it refers to a local congregation of believers. God intends for people... To be part of a local church. That's his design. That's what he wants to do. I, I know a lot of people who have gotten out of church over the years. And they've decided that um, you know, they, they're they used up or whatever they decide. I can't, they get burnt out or, or whatever it is. And I always feel sorry for them. Because then they just get by themselves. And I think they just die lonely, mean old people.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but now, think about this. In light of the Great Commission. What are we here for? Let me read you a passage of Scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. This is Matthew's version of the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came and spake to them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here's at least part of what we're here for. The church is here for discipleship. At least part of it is for us to become disciples. The Amplified Bible says, go then and make disciples of all nations. So we can see from that passage, from the epistles, that God intends for people to be discipled, to be taught the word of God. All right? Now, I understand the Holy Spirit brings the revelation to us, but God puts gifts in the church so that we can be taught what the word of God has to say. So we get revelation. But then that's not, that's not really all of it. Let's look at, I'm going to look at Mark chapter 16. Here's the commission from Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So here's another part of the commission. Right? Now, it's interesting to me when it's in verse 20, it says they went forth and preached everywhere and the Lord working with them. And in the King James, the word them is italicized, which means it's not in the Greek language. So it literally says "and the Lord working with and confirming the word. God works with the word. He confirms the word. They went and preached the word. God confirmed the word. All right? And obviously he was working with them too because they were the ones preaching it. But God always confirms the word. We are to preach the gospel in power. When Jesus gave this commission, he gave this commission to preach in power. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit is what it's saying. They needed that power. Now, this is an editorial note. Just to throw this out. and You don't have to. If you don't like it, it's okay. Just don't make sure you don't not like me.
1: <coughs>
0: Notice what he said to them. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say go into all the world and feed the poor. He also didn't say go into all the world and build buildings for the poor. He said to go and preach the gospel. Hmm. Now, it's important that we take care of the poor. Don't misunderstand me. The scripture is full of our obligation, and responsibility to the poor. But the church is to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Our, our mission is to preach the gospel. I mean, we're, we need to feed them if we can. We need to do those things. I mean, but here's the thing: if we build buildings and feed them, the script Jesus asked the question: he said What do they profit if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? Mm-hmm. We are to preach the gospel. To to the poor. Jesus said, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to what? Preach the gospel to whom? The poor. The poor need the gospel more than they need anything else in the world. If you just think about it, poverty is not a money issue. Poverty is a spiritual issue. We can prove that in American history. Lyndon Johnson in 1963 declared the war on poverty. And this country began to pump billions of dollars into helping poor people, billions of dollars. In 1986, I believe it was, Ronald Reagan said, "We've lost the war on poverty."
1: <laughs>
0: if we look at poverty in this in this country today, after our country, after our our, our, our government has literally poured billions and billions of dollars into poverty relief situations and programs. The poverty rate in our nation is largely unchanged. In minority neighborhoods, poverty is even greater. You can't just throw money at a spiritual issue and expect to change anything. What people need is what? The gospel. They don't need money. They need the gospel. Because if we preach the gospel to the poor, the gospel says you don't have to be poor anymore. Because we understand their biblical principles. So we need to preach the gospel. Now, here's where I wanted to get to. But in order to carry out this great commission that Jesus talked about, we're going to have to be filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to be filled. Teaching and preaching to to believers has to be done with an anointing of the Spirit, or it's just a motivational speech Mm -hmm. or an informative lecture. There's got to be an anointing from God. Teaching and preaching has to be filled with life from God. Preaching the gospel, according to Jesus there, requires the power of the Spirit. People need to be reached, not in their intellect. They've got to be reached in their spirit. Because it's the spirit man that gets born again. And and, and, and we preach the gospel, and that's how people get born again. I love the, the passage in, in Mark. Notice the sign that follow The signs that follow the believers. <clears throat> Casting out demons. How many times have we seen that? Well, not many for most of us, right? <coughs> but that ought to be a part of what happens. Listen, we need to know we have authority over and must never be frightened of the devil. Amen. 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 We need to know that. He, You know what? He's a foe. But the blood of Jesus has overcome and overwhelmed him. And we need to know that. I love it. He said they'll be speaking in tongues. Listen, this praying in the Spirit is always a part of being filled with the Spirit. What I know from that passage of Scripture is that praying in tongues is for every believer. Mm -hmm. And is available right now. I also know that we all should be exercising it every single day. I mean, we've taught on that a couple of times, what needs to happen. I love the part that says, taking up serpents. Now, that's one I have not been a part of. It literally (laughs) says, removing snakes. It's talking about demon spirits that are in the way of what God has called us to do. We have the authority to remove them. I mean, I heard the story about the guy. You may have heard it too. He went to the church, and they were going to pull the snakes out of the basket. And he's back at the back of the building, and they they got the basket. they pull the snakes out. And the guy looks at the guy next to him and says, "Um, do you know where the back door is? Mm -hmm. And the the guy said, we don't have a back door. And he said, "Uh, where do you reckon you'd want one? (laughs) (laughs) It's not talking about playing with snakes. (laughs) It's talking about moving demon forces out of the way. Drinking deadly things in light of the enemy trying to stop us and destroy us as we do the work of God. He's talking, we can overcome that. And then, of course, laying hands on the sick. I love it. And they shall recover. We ought to to all be laying our hands on sick people. Well, what if they don't get well? I always think, well, what if they do? What's the worst that could happen if you lay hands on somebody and they don't get well? They're still sick. But what happens when God moves in your obedience and he heals them right before your eyes? We need to be filled with the Spirit just to carry out the Great Commission. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus told his disciples that they needed to be empowered before they could go to work on the Great Commission. In Luke 24, 46 through 49, he said, And he said this to them Thus it is written, and, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said, y'all aren't even ready to do anything yet until you get filled with the Spirit, until there's power in your life. The filling of the Spirit is the beginning requirement of fulfilling the Great Commission. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And that brings me to the text I've been talking about the last several weeks. Ephesians 5, verse 18. <clears throat> and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We've talked about for weeks how the, the world wants you to get drunk on wine or alcohol, high on a drug, but it's an imitation of being filled with the Spirit. Because we saw examples in the Scripture of people filled with the Spirit, and everybody thought they were drunk. And we, we saw that the world wants, wants us to think the way to get, get that, that exuberance in life, to be exhilarated, is to get high on some drug or alcohol. The reality is we can be filled with the Spirit. Amen. And he compares it to a person getting drunk who continually has to imbibe to stay drunk. We have to continually imbibe with the Spirit to stay filled with the Spirit. Then he tells us how. Speaking to yourselves. And literally it says, speaking to your own self in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about that for several weeks. You get filled and these people got filled, they they got refilled, they got refilled. We need to be filled with the Spirit at all times. The phrase filled with the Spirit has come to be a title that is given to people who believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Or churches who have that as their doctrine. We need to be filled and refilled. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 is talking to a church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they they, they believe in speaking in tongues. But he's saying to them, you need to be filled with the Spirit now, again. He doesn't say you need to have been filled with the Spirit. When he talks about singing in Psalms, he's not talking about a hymn book He's not talking about those types of hymns. He's talking, about, he, he's talking about spirit songs coming up out of your spirit. He's talking about songs that are, that are spiritual. I mean, he said we need to be spirit-filled. He needs, we need to speak to ourselves. We need to pray. We need to sing. Can I just tell you something? Every one of us can sing. Now, not every one of us needs to record it and try to sell it to somebody. <laughs> but every one of us can sing in the spirit. Every one of us can praise God in the spirit. We need to be this. So, so far we've talked about this. We've talked about about praying in the spirit and how that that is literally praying mysteries. It is proclaiming the wonderful works of God. It is being the prophet mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's simple prophecy that gives to yourself edification, comfort, and exhortation. I mean, that's a powerful thing when you recognize what's going on. That's why as Jude said, praying in the Holy... Building up your holy faith, holy faith, praying in the Spirit. We build ourselves up that way. We talked about the Spirit of life. We talked about knowing what to yield to and what to resist. That's the most powerful thing we can learn in our lives. What do I yield to? What do I resist? Because what I yield to is what I get full of. I get filled with that. Okay, so now tonight... I don't want to offend anybody by what I'm going to teach. This may not be a message for wimpy Christians. And I'm not trying to be offensive. We just need to understand some things about being filled with the Spirit. It's a great privilege to get to teach you. And I don't ever want to violate that. And tonight, I just want you to know, I believe this is a mature group. And I think we can take things. All right. What is the main thing? do you think that is in the way between us and being filled with the Spirit? Now we, now we understand it's what we fill ourselves with, is what we choose. At this point in time, God has already baptized us in the Holy Spirit. We've, we've already had this experience of praying in other tongues. We've already had all of that, but now what does it take for us to stay filled with the Holy Ghost? What does it take? What's standing in the way? Well, let me just spell it for you. F- L-E-S-H. The flesh. The flesh is always trying to pull us the other way from the spirit. The flesh. I mean, it'll hold us out of walking in the fullness of the spirit if we let it do so. The flesh. I mean, that's that's why speaking to ourselves is so important. So we can become minded the right way. So we can begin to think the right way. It's interesting, the the psalmist asked himself, he said, why are you cast down, soul? He said, hope in God. We need to learn how to talk to ourselves. Make sure we understand that God wants us to be, be people who are overcoming. Isn't it interesting, the book of Revelation, all those churches he talks about, those who overcome. God intends for us to be overcomers, but, but, but we need to say, why are you cast down, Saul? Can I tell you something? The flesh loves a penny party. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just, you know, I love the Lord, but it's just hard. And the flesh wants someone to come and say, oh, bless your heart. Now, When I grew up, when you said bless your heart to somebody, that meant, I'm sorry you're so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh, bless his heart. Bless his heart. He doesn't know better. But the flesh wants someone to feel sorry for us. We, We love the pity party. Listen, the spirit man. By the way, ladies, you have a spirit man. Men, we're the bride of Christ, so it's all confusing sometimes. The spirit man is strong and trusts in God alone amen that's the spirit man that's the person that needs to begin to dominate who we are we must make the tongue do its duty and say hope in god stand on what god has said so now let me read you a, a passage of scripture from the from the book of romans It's kind of a long passage but i know you've heard it before But let's just read it anyway it says therefore there is now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus that's a great verse right there. But it's not the whole verse. There are some versions that say that that is the whole verse, but I'll tell you, two versions out of a thousand are not the ones you have to rely on. Okay, a thousand of them say, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The rest of the chapter bears out that that's, that's the case. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death, and that is a great verse. Amen. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh mm-hmm. and for, through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice he didn't send him as sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit do mind the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Mm-hmm. Who do you think he's writing the letter to? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously not Christians, right? No, this is written to believers. Mm-hmm. Spirit-filled Roman believers. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and And peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of mind law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's a direct, powerful statement. But ye are not of the flesh, but in the spirit, that's my confession, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, and the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. He's not talking about physical death as much here. You will die. But if, if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Amen. Now, that's a powerful passage of Scripture that deals with this, talking about dealing with the flesh. Here, here, let me sum up some things. When you walk in the flesh, your own heart is going to condemn you. There's no condemnation from God, your own heart will condemn you. What is the flesh? The flesh. They are, It's sinful impulses and carnal cravings. That's the flesh. When we're filled with the Spirit, we will walk after the Spirit. When we are filled with the flesh, we will walk after the flesh. Flesh, we can see, is the same as being carnal-minded. What does that mean? That means to think and live like the world. Carnal minded is carnal thinking. It's thinking as the world thinks. Well, well yeah, but the Bible says, God said, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You've got to read the whole passage. Because he goes on to say later in that he said, that's why I'm sending my word that comes down like rain and doesn't return to me void. Yes, he said, you need to change your thoughts in that passage of scripture in Isaiah. It's carnal-minded carnal mindedness is death according to the the, the apostle written to roman christians spiritual minded is life life is the word so which is life as god has it life that is connected to god when we are minded spiritually we have life when we are carnal minded we have death when we walk in the spirit as we do that We're going to be spiritually minded. I love this. It says we're going to be quickened along the way, which means to be vitalized, to be invigorated. Sounds like having the effervescence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As we walk in the spirit, the carnal mind is against God and cannot fulfill the law of God. And will be judged by the law of God. That's an important truth that we're going to talk about more in a few minutes. If you're carnal-minded, not you. I'm talking about all those other people because I know it's not of you. (laughs) The law will be the judge. Even though we said, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. We'll talk about this in a minute. Grace is not doing nothing. Okay? The, 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 The carnal mind is against God. It'll be judged by the law. The carnal mind is death now. That's pretty rough, isn't it? I'm going to get to some really good stuff later on. The carnal mind brings death. Yeah, but does that mean we can't even think, can't even go to a movie? No, that's not what it means. We'll talk about that as we go. The word life, it talks about connection. The word death talks about separation. When we are carnal-minded, we separate ourselves from the plan and purpose of God as well as his covenant and promises. That's what this is talking about. The spiritual mind means freedom. Okay. You all with me so far? Yes, sir. It's not, I hope it's not too too rough yet. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore in the liberty, wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Again. These books of, of, of epistles are written to Christians. We're to stand fast. Now, I'm going to skip some verses down to verse 16. The Apostle Paul, same writer, says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a pretty simple thing. Easier said than done. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things you would but if you be led of the spirit you're not under the law the only way to not be under the law is to be led of the spirit is to walk in the spirit but you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery, fornication uncleanness, lasciviousness Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he says we're to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is being filled with the Spirit. To walk means to habitually walk around in one general vicinity. In other words, saying you've got to live in this one place. This is talking about people who've walked in the same region for so long that that region now becomes a part of our environment. It's a place of our daily activity, the sphere that encircles our existence. He's saying we need to walk and walk and walk in the spirit until it is our environment. The word carries the idea of walking a certain path so often for so long that you can do it blindfolded. Mm. We need to be walking in the Spirit. It needs to be our way of life. We don't need to take entrances and exits from the fullness of the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We have to have that. The flesh desires to eat, to say, to go, to drink, to smoke, and do whatever it wants to do. That's what the flesh wants to do. Whatever feels good. You know, back in the, I guess, the 70s, we had that slogan, if it feels good, do it. That is the flesh right there. That's what the flesh does. That's what the flesh says. Do it. How can it be wrong if it feels good or if it seems good? But we must choose to be spirit-minded. In other words, having our mind occupied with spiritual things. I like this. The people, the only people that are not under the law are those who walk in the spirit. Mm Do you know why? Because they're going to naturally fulfill the law. Because they're walking in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to make sure you don't lie. Make sure you don't do all of these other things. Those that walk in the flesh are out of the law. you have going to walk in the spirit. The flesh is always contrary. Now, let me just quickly go through this list. The works of the flesh. Adultery and fornication. Those come from the same Greek word. The Greek word is porneia. We get the word pornography from it. The word is talking about all sexual activity outside of marriage, including adultery and homosexuality. Uncleanness. This, def- this actually defines our, our society pretty clearly. Lewd or unclean thoughts that eventually produce lewd or unclean actions. Mm. Lasciviousness. This is the excessive consumption of food or wild, undisciplined living that is especially marked by unbridled sex. Isn't amazing? You can watch any TV show. Idolatry, which is the worship of idols. What it is is the extreme devotion and service to something worshipped. It transpires when an individual gives his complete, undivided attention, devotion, passion, love, or commitment to a person, project, or thing other than God. Something other than God takes first place in their mind. That's idolatry. Witchcraft. Witchcraft, the Greek word is pharmakia. We get the word pharmacy from this word. Hmm. It has to do with medicines or drugs that inhibit a person's personality or change their behavior. In other words, just talking about mind-altering drugs. In the first century, the, the pagan religions would, would pour some kind of hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic drug in a glass of wine. They'd give it to the people that came to their service and say, drink this and you'll feel better. And sure enough, hmm. for a little while, they felt better. All right? And that's that's what it's referring to. Hatred. Intense hostility that one feels towards someone else. I mean, this is, paints a picture of people who can't get along with each other. They hate each other. Variance. This is an interesting word in the Greek. It had to do with, it described political parties that had the different political platforms. <laughs> it, it, it talks about, it has to do with political races that became very ugly and contained false accusations and lies. Wait a minute, that's right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It depicts a bitterly mean spirit Mm. that is so consumed with its own self-interest and self-ambitions that it would rather split and divide than to admit it's wrong or give an inch to the opponent. Mm. Uh, Variance. That's a work of the flesh. Emulations. The Greek word is zealous. We get the word zeal from. It's talking about passion and devotion in a good way. But it's also talking about a person who is upset because somebody else achieved more and received more. Talking about being jealous or envious, resentful. When a person gets something that we want. Wrath, is pretty obvious. It means boiling over with anger about something. Strife, is similar to the word variance in the Greek, but it means seeking ambition that is more concerned about self and, and the fulfillment of its own wants, desires, and pleasures than being somebody else's need. Seditions, this is an interesting word in the Greek. The word literally means to stand apart or as one who rebels and steps away from someone when he should have been loyal. Here's something about the flesh. The flesh hates rules, hates regulations, Mm. and hates any order that is placed on it. Mm. Mm. Heresies. This refers to a group of people that want to follow a leader. It's referring to cliques. A group that believes or conducts itself as if they're exclusive. A division. A faction. Somebody that we think we're better than everybody else. Envy, which is... A deep felt grudge because someone possesses what another person has and they wish it was their own. Drunkenness. Well, that's pretty self explanatory. It's the consumption of strong drink or wine for the purpose of intoxication. Revelings. This is the word in the Greek here, it means a festive procession of merrymaking. That doesn't sound too bad, really. But it's talking about a person who continually wants to escape responsibility, thrive on fun, avoid all seriousness life. This person only thinks about how they can be entertained. They just want their mind off of reality. They want to be entertained and such the like. <laughs> he said there are a lot of things that are like that. The only answer to all of that is to walk in the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. We, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Let me read you this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to come back there in just a moment. Uh, but it says this, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Now again, he's writing to Christians, people that are saved, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we and incorruptible. He's talking about we are in a race. We are striving for the mastery. We are temperate in all things. He said, I therefore run not as uncertainty, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul had a concern about being a castaway. He had a concern about his flesh overtaking the spirit man and him not fulfilling what God God called him to. He's talking about dealing with the flesh. I've got an eye-opening fact for you. The Christian life requires effort. I'm not talking about being born again. I'm not talking about righteousness because of faith. I'm talking about walking the Christian life and fulfilling the plan of God in my life. God doesn't mean that that, that that we have to work our way into salvation. But here's what I know: Grace doesn't mean that no effort is required. That's right. Titus yeah. says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Mm-hmm. Grace teaches me to say no to my flesh. Grace teaches me mm-hmm. that. Grace comes by faith, according to the scriptures. It's yielding ourselves to the spirit, not to the flesh. Then grace empowers me. Mm -hmm. It's talking about the race that God called each one of us to. Our race. It doesn't just come to us because I walked the aisle one day, or because I spoke in tongues one day. It comes as we live according to the spirit. Back Mm -hmm. to Ephesians. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, longsuffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's how we ought to be living. Here's how we know we're filled with the Spirit. Love. It's, about, it's a love that's more focused on giving than receiving. It's a love that really knows no limits or boundaries in how far it will go to show its love to the recipient and will sacrifice itself for the sake of the recipient it deeply cherishes. Love. Mm. This is a giving type of love. Joy. Now, joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness depends on happenings. Joy. It's interesting. The word joy, the Greek word is chara, is which comes from the Greek word charis, which is grace. Joy is produced by grace. It's not human-based happiness that comes and goes. It is this joy that flourishes, particularly in hard times, because it's based on what is inward and not what is outward. Peace. Wow. I really like this word. The Greek word is irene. It's very closely associated with the Hebrew word shalom. It literally means the same thing as shalom. Wholeness. Completeness. Tranquility of the soul that is unaffected by outward circumstances or pressures. It's, it's being the same. It, it, it's, it's the calm inner stability that results in the ability to conduct ourselves peacefully Even in the midst of circumstances that are nerve wracking or traumatic or upsetting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you, How can you be so calm in the middle of this? (laughs) They need to have asked you that. We need to be people at peace. Mm -hmm. If it's complete, that means there's nothing missing in it. If it's whole, there's nothing broken about it. Just like that word shalom, we need to have this, this fruit of the Spirit. For well, there's nothing missing, nothing broken. I trust God solely with my life and what he said he will do. Long-suffering. The, it comes from two Greek words. One, The first part of the, of, the, of the word, the long part, comes from the Greek word makos. Sorry, makros. Makros means long. We get the word macaroni from this.
1: <laughs>
0: it means a long noodle. Okay. The word suffering comes from thumos, which means anger or strong swelling of the emotions. The two words combined talks about us being, having patient restraint for a long time. Restraint of anger. We're talking about being forbearing, being patient with people. That's that's important. That's, that's the hardest one of all these, I think. Being just... Being a, being, a, being a long doodle with
1: people. <laughs> <laughs> Loving
0: them all the way through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially when I'm right, driving down 82nd Street and the speed limit is 45 and they're going 25.
1: <laughs>
0: Gentleness, to show kindness or be friendly to others. That, is, that should be so easy, shouldn't it? It ought to be easy to show kindness, goodness, being good to others. This talks about a person who's generous, big-hearted, liberal, and charitable with his finances. We ought, we ought to be people that, that, are, that, that, that show goodness. Faith talks about a person who's faithful, reliable, loyal, steadfast. Meekness. This is talking about a person who is, who is forbearing, impatient, slow to anger. It talks about a person who is in control of himself. Whatever is going on. Meekness doesn't mean letting people push you around. Meekness is being in control of yourself when you face insults and injuries. Mm. The picture of this word in the Greek has to do with a horse that is controlled by a bit in his mouth, mm. has the power to trample someone. But there's this bit in his mouth, and just a gentle tug slows him down. Mm. Controlled power. Mm. Temperance. This is to have power over oneself. To be self-controlled or restrained over your own passions, appetites, and desires. I love that passage. When we walk in the Spirit, there is no law. In other words, there is no force that can stop this fruit. Mm. No way it can be stopped. If I just walk in the Spirit. We walk in the flesh, we're under the law. And we, in regard to the fruit of the actions... The only way to be under the law, to not be under the law, is to crucify the flesh. And that simply is not easy, is it? To say no. But grace teaches us to say no. Paul said he had to keep under his body. That means to beat it black and blue. That means to forcefully make it obey. Living in the spirit is not talking about the new birth. It's not talking about about our righteousness. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about this road that God has called us to. We're talking about life, connection to God, living our daily lives, fulfilling His plan in us. Doesn't mean we have to be weird. Doesn't mean we have to avoid all forms of entertainment. Doesn't mean we have to I don't know, wear hair and buns. I wouldn't, but you know, (laughs) we have to doesn't mean we have to be different in the sense that we're weird. Mm. It means we have to be mindful of the things of the spirit. Even when I'm thinking about going to the show, I need to be mindful of what will this movie do to my spirit. Mm-hmm. How will it affect me? How will it affect me in the long run? You know, because I grew up, we watched everything that came on TV. It didn't matter what it was. In fact, the other night, I'm flipping through the channels, I stopped at something stupid. And Tammy said, you stop at the craziest places. Because <laughs> I just get intrigued by something. Just start, I don't even remember what it was now. And I'm not the only guy here that does that. I already know that. <laughs> but we need, we need to be mindful of things. How is this going to affect me? How is it going to affect my spirit man? Right? It does mean that we have to be aware of what we yield to. It means we're always aware of the Lord, that we keep him first in our lives. That ought to go unsaid. doesn't mean we have to be weird. We're to be filled with the spirit. If we want the supernatural in our midst. We're filled, the Bible says, speaking to ourselves. What we yield to determines it. We hear this all the time. People say, well, I just wish we had more miracles. That begins when we're filled with the Spirit. And that's not just up to the preachers. We put a lot of pressure on the preacher to be filled with the Spirit so he can get a miracle or two. We need to all be filled with the Spirit. All of us. We need to be aware of what the Spirit wants to do. It's a matter of our choice. We choose the Spirit. Doesn't mean we have to be weird. Doesn't mean we have to act like we came from a monastery. (laughs) Jesus said, I've come that you might have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. That doesn't sound like we came out of a monastery. The scripture says that, that God richly Gives us all things to enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We ought to be living lives that are exhilarating. Amen. Living lives that are fun. Living lives that we enjoy. I mean, having things that we enjoy. As long as God is first in all of those things. Mm-hmm. We need to have that kind of life. We need to have life. We must continually remember that He is number one in our lives. And we yield to Him Praise to God. be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise Amen. God.